Good morning, church. Praise the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, your word says that all scriptures is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We are gathered here today, this morning, to worship you, that as we continue, Lord, at this time, as we listen to your word, Lord, help us to understand the message of today, so that, Lord, through your teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, we may be equipped as your church to continue to minister. Lord, we commit ourselves to you and pray that, Lord, you will speak with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we are going to learn from the book of Chronicles. I have two chapters, chapter 28 and 29, but I'm going to focus on a few verses. But I would like, before I get to the introduction, to let you know that these two chapters speaks about David's plan for the temple and also the gifts that the people and David gave for the building of the temple and the prayer that David offered plus also Solomon being acknowledged as the king of Israel. And at the end of chapter 29, we hear about the death of David. Some of the major questions that a careful modern reader of the historical books of the Old Testament, like the Chronicles, and also First, Second Samuel, and First and Second Kings, can ask, uh, what is the setting of this passage? What events led up to this point? And there are many major trends. Are there many major trends or developments in Israel bearing on the passage or part of its content? Why did the author of the Chronicles or even First and Second Kings repeat, I mean Chronicles, repeat, omit or add contents of Second Samuel? And first and second kings. Why did God lead the authors of 
Samuel and Kings and Chronicles to write what they wrote. And for what purpose? Who are the original readers of these books? And then finally we can ask ourselves, how can I, how is this message, how is Chronicles, how is First and Second Samuel and also First and Second Kings speak to me? The Bible is such a historically oriented and revealed, I mean, a revelation that sometimes if we ignore the historical context, we may tend to assure, assure misinterpretation. In order to make it easy to understand and apply the passage for today from the book of Chronicles, I will give you a brief introduction of its background, starting from Samuel Kings and then coming up to Chronicles. And then we will look at a few verses from chapters 28 to 29, which is very familiar, I assume, to every one of us. I want to invite you to understand with me that First and Second Samuel was written to exiles, telling them how kingship in Israel was instituted and without a false start and some bumps on the road. That is about Saul and King David. And that one is in First and Second Samuel. These two kings, Saul and David, had experienced personal tragedy. And they also sowed a seed of destruction. But the royal ideal of kingship remained unfulfilled. Remember, David was promised an everlasting dynasty in which he will not lack a member of his family as a king. These books keep alive the royal ideal expressed in the Davidic covenant of an everlasting dynasty. In First and Second Kings, we trace Israel's history from the accession of Solomon to exile, covering a time span of over 400 years. And the story is mainly a tragic one, as Israel violated anti the demands of the covenant with violated the demands of covenant with the Lord and experienced the consequences of disobedience. The bad and the good, the, the, the bad and the ugly of some parts of this history is that Solomon planted the seed of idolatry 
and forfeited most of the kingdom, seemingly jeopardizing God's covenant with David. The kingdom divided with David's dynasty, ruling only Judah and Benjamin. In the northern kingdom, Jeroboam I inaugurated an idolatrous cult that rivaled Jerusalem temple worship. And Ahab made Baal worship a state-sanctioned religion. When God confronted the evil through his prophets, the king of northern kingdom persecuted them. God finally punished the, the nation, the northern kingdom, rejecting, for rejecting his authority by sending them to north, by, by sending them into exile. In Judah, the southern kingdom, the Judah and Benjamin, which was referred to as Judah, idolatry also threatened the nation's security. But two kings in particular, Hezekiah and Josiah, promoted spiritual revivals that ended Judah to outlive the northern kingdom. But in the end, Judah also went to exile. However, there is a silver lining in the story from God's promise to the Davidic dynasty never died and continued to foster the hope for the revival of the nation's fortune. It was while there were, they were in exile when historical books of Samuel and Kings were written to help them understand while they were in exile. You, we read from Second Kings 17 verse 7 and 8 that all this took place because Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel, that the northern kingdom, had introduced. The key to understanding the message of First and Second Chronicles and applying it to our church today is understanding the primary theme of Chronicles as was intended for the original readers. Chronicles offers a history that overlaps with the complements and complements the account offering or offered in Samuel and the Kings. However, there are significant differences in scope and purpose. Chronicles focuses on the Vedic dynasty and consequently, the kingdom of Judah. And you, you'll 
notice the first chronicles is all about David and Solomon. And then second chronicles up to chapter 9 is all about Solomon. And so most of the chronicles is about or is focusing it's an ideal you know it it depicts David and Solomon and some other kings as an example of what God is planning to do because this was written to those who are post exilic community after coming from exile and so here chronicles focuses on the Vedic dynasty and consequently the kingdom of Judah. Overall, its historical portrait is more optimistic than what we find in Samuel and the Kings, which highlights the nation's moral descent and political decline. Why? Because Chronicles was written for different original readers the post-exilic community. Chronicles, through its more idealized presentation of the past, is much more optimistic as it holds the key figures of the past as paradigms of the ideal leader who is to come, the Messiah. At the time of writing of Chronicles, the post-exilic community had come back, had rebuilt the temple through leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, but they had not yet a Davidic king on the throne. They had no Davidic king on the throne. They were struggling with questions like, the temple is built. But is God still interested in us? Are the covenant still in effect? Are we still the people of God? Where is the son of David? How do we relate to God now? How do we experience the security and blessings of God there are many circumstances and instances in our lives also today that we struggle with in our lives. And we ask the same, same questions when we fail to fulfill our calling as individuals and community of believers. The idealized message of Chronicles is to be realized 500 years later after exile in the person, life, and work of Jesus Christ, who will present a very different understanding of messianic expectations. The kingdom of God for all the people Jews and Gentiles are a beginning of Christian church as the voice of the kingdom which Paul calls a holy nation. 
From the clonicals perspective, let us now briefly examine some selected verses from chapter 28 and 29. We will examine how David left a legacy to Solomon according to chronicles and attempted to apply the idealized message of post-exilic community to our context today. Remember, when you read the book of Chronicles, you will notice that the author has left the bad and the agony of, king, of these kings, King David, King Solomon, and any other king who is mentioned, and is focusing on the good, because that is what God led him to do. Because in First and Second Samuel, and first and second kings, the message was to those who are in exile to explain to them why they went to exile. Because their leaders had failed. They had instituted worshipping other gods, the gods of the nations that God had driven out of the promised land, the holy land, and given them the land. And God had spoken about that in the book of Deuteronomy. But when you come to the Chronicles, you will notice that all those bad things are left about these kings, and God is focusing on the good part of their lives, so that those who had come from exile, and they they, they, they had the temple, but they, they had no king, they would know that as much as God used those good kings and their good part of life and also according to the Davidic covenant of everlasting dynasty, God has not abandoned them. They may not have a king at present, but there is a king who is to come. And this is the Messiah during the post-exilic period of about 500 years, the Jews were still waiting for that promise, that covenantal king who came actually in the person of Jesus Christ and he came and instituted something different from their expectations. So, what can we learn that we can leave as a legacy to our next generation of our Christian community. How can we learn from the way David and Solomon, the way David uh, prepared Solomon, who is young and provided everything that he provided so that he can continue as the leader of Israel. We can leave a spiritual legacy for the next generation. That is one. In verses, chapter 28, verses 9 to 10, these verses talk about David. David appeals to his son Solomon to serve God with his whole heart and a willing mind and charged him to build the temple. So when you look at verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, And you, my son Solomon, 
Acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider how for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. You can read this parallel in First Kings chapter 2 verse 2 to 4, but that parallel has changed a lot. The ones of First Kings chapter 2 verse 2 to 4 and Chronicles 28 verse 9 to 10, they have been revised and reshaped and they are delivering the same message but in a different way. Now, it's not... The, 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 the chronicler does not go to the details. That is in First King chapter 2 verse 2 to 4. But he is actually focusing because this... This is a different situation. These people had just come from exile. And so he doesn't want to go into a deeper uh, message about like the one which was delivered to those who were in exile. So one of the ways we can have a spiritual legacy is to have a spiritual life like David, so that we can be able to pass it to the rest generation of spiritual leaders by appealing to them and charging them to live that way and take charge of serving God faithfully. Second point, we can live a missional Legacy for the next generation. We can find that in chapter 28, verse 2 to 21. But I'm going to focus on verses 2 to 8. Which is, this chapter from verse 2 to, to 21 is all about the plan of the temple. I don't want to go to those details, but I want us to focus on Something that is very important from these verses. In verse 2 to 8, we can read and understand that David left plan for Solomon to build the temple. It was in his heart, but not in God's plan for him to do so. You can see that in verses 1 and 2. The structure of the temple, which is given in First Chronicles 17, verse 1 to 4, is identified as a place of rest for the ark. When you look at verse 4, David makes some statement. And this statement is that those, you know, he, he, he said, you have chose me, you have chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. Note the term forever. This has a deeper meaning than just David's dynasty. 
It refers to his family, all dynasty, actually through which a Messiah is to come in the future, who is Christ, according to God's plan. Verse 5, he also says, Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many. That those ones are supposed to be in parentheses. They are explaining about the sons. Of all my sons. And then David put something to explain there that the Lord has given me many. He has changed. He, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Of the kingdom of the Lord. Notice here, throne of the kingdom of the Lord. Not my kingdom, not in Solomon's kingdom, but the kingdom of the Lord. Because the Spirit of God was leading him to speak about a future messianic kingdom. This is deeper than this. It is projecting to eschatological kingdom of God, referring here to a kingdom of the Lord. That is the Messiah who will bring everlasting kingdom, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. David is passing an everlasting kingship to ideal spiritual legacy that will be realized fully in the coming of Jesus Christ then passed on to apostles as missionaries of the church, which is the voice of the kingdom of God. Actually, this is a dynamic vision of God's everlasting kingdom over the earth from the beginning, before the fall. God had this purpose, a dynamic purpose, of an everlasting kingdom of dwelling with his people. But after the fall, some things changed. And, but it, it never changed in God's plan. God immediately, in chapter 3 of Genesis, talks about that, chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, chapter, chapter 4, verse, verse 5. Yeah, chapter 4, verse 5. No, is it 3.15? 3.15. So here, we see this in Matthew 28, and in the book of Acts, and the entire New Testament that we read today about the church advancing the kingdom of God. And this kingdom is the everlasting kingdom of God, the dynasty, everlasting dynasty of David according to the Vedic covenant. Theologically, the concept of, we call it the concept of already but not yet. And in this concept, we hold that believers are actively taking part in the kingdom of God, we as the church. Although the kingdom will not reach its full expression until sometime in the future, with the second advent of Jesus Christ. We are already in the kingdom, but we do not yet see it fully. 
in its glory. So we are still waiting for the second advent of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Are we passing on the missions that God has for us as the church to the next generation? That's a challenge to us as a church. Are we preparing the next generation to take over and continue with the missions? A mission to share the good news. A mission for the next generation to own their faith now. A mission to be in and serve the already and not yet kingdom of God. Just as David passed on plan for the temple to Solomon, we have plans for our missions in the word of God in our hearts that we cannot accomplish in our lifetime. We may have a lot of plans, but we may not be able to accomplish this because time is running out. And the next generation is growing in how do we prepare them? Are we guiding and informing our children and the community, the young community of believers? Are we preparing the young generation to continue with the missions? This is the question that we need to ask ourselves at the beginning of the year, 2022. Just as David passed on plans for the temple to Solomon... We have plans for our mission in the word of God. And we need to pass this to our children. We need to pass this to the next generation. We need to prepare them. Sometimes it might seem difficult. But with God it's possible. Sometimes there are lots of challenges because of what is happening in the world, the sins of liberalism and some other things that have affected the church of today. Finally, we can leave a material legacy for the next generation. That is 29 verse 1 to 9. David and the rest of Israel provided Solomon with resources needed to fulfill his mission of building the temple. When you read from chapter 29, verse 1 to 3, David has expressed concern before, actually in, um, when you look at verse, chapter 22, verses 5 and 14, where he, he mentions uh, Solomon as being young and inexperienced. And so he decided to compensate this by preparing materials for the temple himself. And also David, in these verses, verses 1 to 3, he went further than just preparing the material but also contributing his personal treasure. When you read 29 verse 4, you'll also notice that 
Israel's finest gold was imported from Ophir. That you can read from Second Chronicles, also in eight eighteen, and you we hear a hundred and ten tons of gold were imported, and two hundred and sixty tons of silver were also imported for the building of the temple. If you continue verse five to seven. The king appealed to each giver. Now, apart from himself, he turns to his people. And he appeals to them to consecrate themselves. Placing the act of giving on the same level of devotion as ordination or consecration to the priesthood. So, before they give, they had to consecrate themselves. They had to set themselves apart. It's a form of, uh, you know, giving themselves their hearts to God. This is a, a theological concept that Paul and the New Testament teaching uses to apply to the church. The royal priesthood of believers. In as much as the same way we should look at how we are stewarding our material resources and equipping the next generation to use it wisely. We can do that as an act of consecrating our lives in an act of devotion in giving. In conclusion, let us examine chapter 29, a couple of verses, 9 to 11 and 17 and 22. Very briefly. In these verses, the author of Chronicles clearly explains how God is always ready to restore his people, Israel, and also for us as a church today, to the joy of his saving Presence. This is the, the message here. It's not just building the temple. It's not just giving. But God was restoring his people. Those who had come from exile. And has spoken to the order of the chronicles. To write to them. To know about this. Because you will not... You will you, notice that in these, these verses, let, let, let me look at them, verse 9a. Uh, the people, you know, had a willingness response to the need of the Lord's worship. You know, it produced in great rejoicing because of what God had done through David and now is passing it to, to, to Solomon. And this one, this worship produced a great rejoicing on the part of both the king and the people. They rejoiced. Even today, Paul takes from the same chronicle 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 7 and talks about a cheerful giver. Remember, during the time of Paul and other apostles, the only scripture which was at hand was the Old Testament. Actually, that's from where the early church was getting preaching until everything that the apostles had written and preached about was written as New Testament. And also the Gospels were written also of the message of Jesus Christ. So here Paul is taking that giving and bringing it to the New Testament church about that God loves a cheerful giver, cheerful joy. And these people were filled with joy because they had given willingly. They had contributed to the building of the temple. Verse 10, David's reaction to his people's devotion was to praise the Lord as we, it was read sometime earlier about the ones which David spoke, praising the Lord and even bringing some very key phrases that we can find in the Lord's Prayer, which was given by Jesus to disciples. You can see the connection of the New Testament with the Chronicles when you, 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 you read carefully and you notice some phrases and even some clauses that the others of the New Testament are using from the Old Testament of the fulfillment of this promise of everlasting Davidic dynasty. In verse 11, this actually supplies to the conclusion to the Lord's prayer. For thine is the kingdom. David said in verse 11, for thine or for yours is the kingdom. Which Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 verse 13 uh, put in the composition of uh, the Lord's Prayer, according to Matthew, the ones that Jesus spoke to his disciples when they asked him to teach them how to pray. In verses 12 to 19, the truth is that everything we have comes from God is the foundation for the doctrine of stewardship, which we see very much in Psalms 24, 1 and Luke chapter 17, verse 10. You can see how the New Testament is using what the Chronicles was doing to show that every, the things that were spoken in the Chronicles and also in the other parts of the Old Testament were fulfilled in the life and work of Jesus Christ and also during the time of the apostles from God had revealed to them and they had written letters to the churches to exhort them, to instruct them, to rebuke them, to teach them on how to live and serve God faithfully. As much as Chronicles idealistic 
optimism was encouraging and giving hope to the post-exilic readers, in the same way, Chronicles is very relevant to the church at a time like this, that the world and, and liberalism forces are hostile to the covenantal sanctity and missions of the church, which is very, very much challenged nowadays. There is still hope, and the already and not yet kingdom of God continues. Why should we not respond with joy to the great salvation that God has offered as we wait for the second coming of Christ? God is always ready to restore his people, the church, to the joy of his saving presence. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you and we worship you because we can learn that from the book of Chronicles how to, to pass spiritual legacy to the next generation and also how to, to, to pass to the next generation the missional purpose of your church and how we can contribute to one's preparation for the missional work of the church materially. Lord, we pray today as we begin this year and as we continue that you will help us to raise and equip the young generation so that, Lord, they can be part of the ministry that you have called the church to do. Like, Sol like David, he knew that Solomon was young and inexperienced, but he prepared him so that he can take over as a king. He did a lot of things that would have bothered David and challenged and Solomon and challenged him so that he can have what was required to build the temple. As we build your church through missions, Lord, help us to do likewise, to prepare the next generation. For in this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.